0: You know, I love it. Tyler's on the keyboard there, and he, we have these conversations about how many times I go off script. I really do love that. He says it only happens about once a week, and I'm I'm good with that, um, you know, and, and one of those things. So I think I'll just start off with that right now. I'm kind of going through a process in a sense, and I want to share it with you. On Friday night, Billy and I had a date, just the two of us, and it was the first time I think we said five months or something like that, and she's still married to me. She just got back from Kentucky, and I'm so happy to have her home. We went and saw the movie, The Jesus Revolution, and I'm of the age, I remember all of that stuff, to include the Time magazine and the color and everything. I, the irony, as God has got this sense of humor, is At the first of the year, the devotion I selected for this year is Every Day with Jesus by Greg Lowry, and that's really a a large part of the story. It's actually two stories. It's the story of a somewhat older pastor that is in a church that, um, let me say this with kind, stagnant, unwilling to change, unwilling to adapt, not change the gospel, but look at the people that need the gospel, and that was Chuck Smith. I know of him. I've never had the privilege of meeting him. Early in my Promise Keeper days, I was at a conference with Greg Laurie, a remarkable man, and so you see this. But here's one of it that happened to me. Early in the movie, we saw that the church wasn't for the younger kids, or young adults even. They were hungering and longing for something else. But there was a question that was asked of Chuck Smith. And the man asking me and he says, Are you desperate? Are you desperate for the things of God? I watched the movie and I've wrestled with that ever since. And I was up early this morning, and you know, you look at your notes, and I don't know why I use them anymore, but the staff needs them, okay. This is the truth. I'm used to having a Bible and two sheets of paper that are about that big. And that's and then they want notes from me, okay. Crazy thought. But here's what I've wrestled with. It was a great movie. We saw what took place then. If you haven't seen the movie, I want to recommend it. But here's what God kept asking me. Are you desperate? Chuck, are you desperate? And are you willing to lead a church as a teaching pastor of desperate people? Because here's what I think. I don't think churches are desperate. I think they're filled with desperate people that are just longing desperately to serve God and to have the power and everything that God has for us that He's promised us in His Word. I I told one of our guys this morning, I've been here about six months. I'm tired of playing nice. Get ready. I'm tired of playing nice because I'm desperate. I'm desperate as a 75-year-old man who's been given the opportunity to be the teaching pastor of a church, and we're not going to live in mediocrity. We're not going to come and just go through the motions. No, I can't do it, and I won't allow you to do it. I can't do that to you because I think it's just living a second-rate life for a first-rate God, and we've got to do better than that. So you're going to hear me say it. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to invite you into this. But are you desperate? Do you want to be in a church that's desperate to serve God, to know the power that God has, to live in the fullness of power that God has? Because that's the past. That's the church that I want to be a part of. And that's a church that I would love to be the teaching pastor in, even if it's for one more week or whatever God gives me. But that's the desire of my heart. And that's not in my notes. But you need to understand That's where I believe God is leading us. Desperate people to serve God to the fullness of all that He has. And I believe if we do that, I believe God will honor it in this church. And I need to tell you, I'm not here to build a church. It's not my goal. I'm not here to say, we've got to put up church seats on the side. You know why I'm here? Because I want to be around desperate people. And I believe with all of my heart, that's where we're at right now. So let's get desperate. Let's go after the things of God. I, um, I've said we're on this journey together, and the journey, we've titled it Becoming. And it's about becoming, and I'm going to reiterate some things that I've said because I think that we've got to repeat that and we've got to own it. It's not some things that you hear once a year and go, you know, I remember a message with that verse there. I remember sometime last year that was really good. And I like that. That's not what this is about. This is about changing our lives. This is about becoming the men and women that God created us to be. Today's title is simply spiritual identity. And I want to tell you it's part next week. You're going to have the opportunity to hear a great friend of mine, a great friend of this church from a church we planted out of here, Plum Creek down in Castle Rock and Doug Miller is coming I will be in Detroit and uh, you know I don't think it's by accident in a city that I think you look at all that you think you think Denver can be dry at times read the stats on Detroit and they're hosting their first iron sharpens iron conference and they've invited me to speak there to men right now we're looking at 200 to 300 guys coming together and it's a it's a crazy thing. But I'm going to talk to them about, it. are they desperate enough for what God wants? And I think Doug Miller is going to just be amazing. But we're going to do it this week and three weeks in March. And it's spiritual identity. Do you know who you are and whose you are? It's spiritual formation. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? It's spiritual application. Do you know how to take it to where you live, work, and play and be that person on all the days that end in why, not just come to church on Sunday and look good? And then the final week is spiritual reproduction. How do we do that? Because I believe that's God's cycle for us in this discipleship process. We've talked about what is a disciple. We'll go through that again. But here are some key points that I think are important. And if we don't get this part right, it makes it more difficult than that. I asked you last week, and I'm asking you again this week. I'm going to keep asking you, will you join us on a great adventure? and becoming a disciple who is fully devoted, spiritually maturing, and a reproducing follower of Christ. It's a great adventure. And I'm asking you, will you come on a great adventure with us? Because I believe these are desperate times. And that great adventure, oh, we're going to get desperate. But I think that's right where God wants us. But I believe this, the things of God, they've got to be teachable They've got to be reachable, they've got to be applicable, and they've got to be reproducible. If we don't get that right, and here's the deal, there was a time, you know, we know the stories where the people of God had to ask the prophet to go to God, talk to God, what's your answer? Come back and tell us. And then... Like Samuel would go and speak to God and God would send the message back to the people and there they would be and they would have, and then they'd have another question. They'd have to go to Samuel. Well, when Christ died, the curtain was rent and the door was open. We have access to God directly through his word, through his prayers and through relationship. But here's the thing. When we talk about the young people being here, the things of God for us, they have to be teachable. They've got to be for us. They've got to be reachable. And I mean by this is, listen, it'd be one thing to say this is what you need to do. This, 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 and this, and here's a four-point plan. And you look at that and you go, that's great, but I just can't get there from here. That's a bridge too far. And I shared with you some of my own struggles when they talked about things like Christ-likeness, right? And I'm thinking about my past during those days. And it wasn't until God took hold of me and said that I could, in fact, do this, that it was applicable, right? Right? It was reachable for me, and then to apply it where I live, work, and play. And then the idea that it's got to be reproducible, because that's what a disciple does. When God says, go and make disciples, he's saying, take what you are. Don't try to create people into something that you're not, but take what you are and reproduce that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's reproducible. I believe God's Word tells us that, and I believe that's the intention of it there. And you know, part of this is, and this isn't, they love it when it's not in the notes and it's not on the things, but I think we're okay with that. There's one part here I need glasses on. When I think about this process here, understand that none of us are there yet. You can look around here and You know, and some days you look around and go, boy, they look pretty good. They look pretty good. If they only knew what I was going through. Hey, saints, listen to me. It's a real battle. And I'm in that journey with you, and I'm not there yet. My favorite script, one of my favorite scriptures, it's a big book. I mean, God put all 66 together for me. How cool is that? But in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 12, and get this now. Not that I have already obtained all this. This is Paul writing to the church of Philippi. He is very, very late in his life. He's planted churches. He's written letters. I mean, all of this stuff, the apostle Paul has done. But how does he say this? Not that I've already attained all of this, or I have already been made perfect. If you don't know, listen to last week. That means mature. Ready for what God created us for. That's what that word means there. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I read this say, I am desperately pressing on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining, did you get that word there? And there's an older man right there that's done so much, but he's still looking and said, I'm pressing forward and I'm straining to get there. I read that word straining, and that's the straining of a desperate man who says, I'm not giving up. You know, Paul was the same one that wrote and said, you know, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. But he's saying he took it all the way to the end and didn't give up. And he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Saints, we're all in that. We're not there yet. And so there's three things I've been telling you about our church. And that is simply this. One, I want it to be a safe place for you to belong before you have to believe. If you're a guest here with us, you don't have to believe the same way we believe. If you're here checking us out, thank you. Thank you. I believe you were led here. It didn't happen by accident. But thanks for being here with us. And we're praying that God speaks to you, not some guy on a on a platform. But that's who we want you to hear from. But we want it to be a safe place where you can belong here, feel comfortable, before you have to believe. Second thing is we want to create a safe place for you to grow, regardless of where you are in your journey. That old man Paul, as he's writing this, saying, I'm on a journey with you, though, and I'm not giving up, but I'm pressing on. I'm straining and I'm desperate to give everything I've got till God calls me home. And the third thing is, is when I help identify your gifts and your passion, your calling to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. That's that growth track process. And I've told you, don't think for a moment that our view of things is so, myopic and so narrow that all we want to do is train you to serve here. This is kingdom training, and we want to prepare you for wherever God's leading you. When I look at those three things, several months ago, Billy actually met a person and said, Chuck, you need to come and pray with this person. Going through it, right out in the lobby by the coffee bar. A lot of prayer goes on out there. Coffee, prayer, it's a great combination. OK, and some of you have no clue what I said, but try the coffee. If you're into prayer, you'll see how much better you get. But I told this person. In this battle and billy was standing right there i said there's three things that i want you to know about summit church first time here i said one you're safe and there was reasons i needed to tell that person this because of some battles but it, the fact is that should apply to all of us you're safe here here's the second thing you're welcome here and the third thing i said but you will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ every day that I stand here because that's why we're here and there's nothing else like it. I would tell all of you the same thing, whether you've been here a short time or a long time, I want you to know you're welcome here. I want you to know we're working hard to create a community of faith that will build communities of faith, but you're welcome here. And I want you to know you're safe here. Whatever stuff we bring in our rucksacks forward and... We've all got things, but you're safe here with any of that. But I also want to tell you, today and every day I have the privilege of standing here. And I'm feeling, I've told you, more and more desperate for us not to be the church we want to be. Because that's just grace and mercy that says you can do whatever you want to do. And God loves you and He'll forgive you. Yeah, I know that that happens, but here's the deal. I want us to be a desperate church to live for God, His way, for His kingdom. So the only way I know to do that is got to know the gospel, don't we? we got to know His Word. We're going to go back over two other definitions just very quickly. One is, what's a disciple? You have to know when we use the term becoming, what is it we're guiding to? A disciple is a fully devoted heart issue, spiritually maturing the journey that we're on, reproducing, that's the outcome, follower, that's the head issue. That's what encompasses what it means to be a disciple. And we've got to get this here because God is saying to us, you must become disciples to guide and reproduce someone else to becoming a disciple. Last week, we focused on the obedience part of this, took it back to Jesus Christ. We used the idea of spiritual maturity. We took it from Hebrews 5, 8 through 14, and that mixed a little James 1 in there about being doers of the Word, not just hearers of the Word. But spiritual maturity is by constant use, not a one-time drop, constant use in the power of the Holy Spirit that we discern good from evil, courageously act on the good, and take responsibility for our decisions. Saints, let me tell you that's not easy. There are some of you that are working in hostile work environments. There's some of you in hostile school environments. There's some of you in hostile neighborhoods. You know what? There's nothing about that that says this would be just so simple for you if you memorize this and just do it. It's not simple, but I believe it's God's plan. The idea that we discern means we feel it in our spirit. And then to be courageous. And how many times you see that word in the Bible over and over? Take courage. Be of great courage over and over. God is telling us because the things that God's calling us to, the things that we're crying out for, we've got to be courageous to do the things that we know in our hearts are right if we want to see what God's kingdom and what He can do. And then, of course, that, that last part is we've got to take responsibility. We then focused on this issue as we went from there. Of the three things. But now we've got to look at this. We've got to ask a simple question today. And sometimes it's very difficult to answer. The reasons it's difficult to answer sometimes is because sometimes we're not sure of the answer in the world that we live in. But if there was ever an answer that God wanted us to be sure of, it's this one here. Do you know truly beyond a shadow of a doubt who you are and whose you are? do you know truly beyond a shadow of a doubt who you are and whose you are those are the two elements of spiritual identity and if we don't have our spiritual identity intact as a foundation god can't build anything on it. it's like building on that sinking sand we've got to have that right god tells us this right And I ask you this, because if you don't know who you are, you can't answer this question affirmatively. If you do know who you are and whose you are, you got a shot at this. But the real question then is, are you living with the power and authority of us as a son or daughter of the king? God didn't design us to raise spiritually weak people that didn't understand that God himself has given us power and authority as his sons and daughters. He has given us dominion over things that we're not taking. And we look at this here and the power and authority that God has given us is what Satan is trying to attack. We can look at all of these things out here and say, well, Satan wants to take this down. Satan. We'll talk about some of those. But you know what he's really attacking? You, me, our identity as sons and daughters of the king. That's what Satan wants to tear apart. That's what Satan wants to tear apart with our our young kids in there. But then our middle school, high school, that's what Satan's trying to destroy is, do you know who you are? Do you know whose you are? And when you know that, it kind of guides us. I served in the military and I shared. And I remember early on, I mean, these are 1970s. And we had the posters in the barracks and in our training rooms and stuff like that. And it was called, Know Your Enemy. <clears throat> the whole thing was about the weapons, the tanks, the vehicles. And then we would study the tactics, Know Your Enemy. Because if you don't know your enemy, you don't know what their capability is. You don't know their weaponry. You don't know their tactics. Puts you at a severe disadvantage. And you know, that carries over in so many things in our life. I mean, I look at I, Dalton Reisner. I got a text from him last night, and we were talking how thick the playbook is. And with every game, the schemes change based on your opponent, what you've seen, what you identify and the things that you have to do as a part of that. The other thing is, is that as your pastor, I want you to know that Satan is real and the battle is real. Because all too often I think I hear preachers going, you know, it's okay, you know, the victory is ours, you don't have to worry about this, Satan's not that big a deal, you know. We, I go, are you kidding me? Seriously? And I wonder if those people even know what kind of lives people are living. We're in a battle right now. We're in a battle for our kids. We're in a battle for our homes and our marriages. We're in a battle for our nation. And we've got to understand that Satan is real. Now, let's don't give him too much credit because we're going to go into that again. But we don't want to ignore the fact that Satan is real and he's attacking you and he's attacking your life. He wants your kids. And so when we look at this, several scriptures, too, I want to share on this one. 2 Peter, 1 Peter 5, eight. Here's what God tells us. Be sober-minded. Don't be distracted by anything. You know, what happens is, is non-sober, we can use that as alcohol, but that means a lot of things that intoxicate us. Power intoxicates us as much as alcohol can. Nice cars and how many likes on Facebook. And we can go through. So when he says be sober minded, he's talking about everything of this world, <coughs> excuse me, that can be toxic in nature, right? But he says, be sober minded, be watchful. Now get this. Your your adversary. Now, I want you to just pause for a second. Your adversary. Look at the grammar that's used there. It doesn't say one of the adversaries that are out there that you might run into that could be difficult and make your day a tough day. That's not what God's saying. You have one adversary, that's Satan, that's trying to pull you away from everything of God, starting with your identity. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I just leave that there and I want you to look at four words right in the middle of it. Like a, a is actually a word, we'll use it, like a roaring lion. Did you get that? Now let's go back to the very first of those first words. Like. That's very different than being, isn't it? Talk to young kids, what are you going to dress up as for Halloween? I'm going to dress up like a, they're not that person, but they dress up like that person. You get that? So there are things where they discard these things and so forth. I mean, they look at it and it's this possibility of trying to resemble something you're not. Because here it says, you got to be careful you got to be sober-minded. Don't be distracted by the things that are toxic in this world that we live in that will make your mind less than sober. you got to be watchful. you got to be alert. Because your adversary, my adversary, prowls like a lion seeking someone to devour. I want to compare that scripture with Revelation 5.5. 5. And here's what he says. As one of the elders said to me, weep no more, behold, now get this, the, do you get the difference? The lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so he can open the scroll and his seven seals. What's our words there that we got to grab? The lion, not like a lion, the lion. There is the God, not like a God. Nobody, you know, the idea of replicating that or trying to look like something you're not. But God's Word is telling us very carefully that there is a very real adversary that's trying to attack your identity, steal you from the family in this. And one of the ways that your adversary does this is to pose like a lion. And isn't it incredible? Like a lion, because Jesus is the Lion of Judah, who has conquered everything for us. And his is the lion, not like a lion. So then we go on with this thing, and we focus on that. We realize that Jesus is the lion who is victorious. Do you get this? He's conquered. Now, as we look at this thing and see how the devil works, we're still back on some of the tactics in a sense. So first, I've got to give you some very, very deep theology. You ready? Let's take a deep breath. Here we go. Got that? Deep. There is one Creator. I'm just going to leave it at that. Is that deep? There is one Creator. That's it. Now, why is that important? Because very often I've heard Christians say, boy, Satan sure created a mess. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. There's only one Creator. How can Satan do something he's not capable of? He doesn't create. God creates. And what do the scriptures tell us about that? And God's very clear in his word. And he says this, Colossians 1, 16 says, for by him, we know who the him is, right? For by him, all things were created, not some of the things, maybe the goodness. No, no. All things were created in heaven and on earth. That's a great statement. There's actually a prayer that talks about on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we've heard that, haven't we? But why is that? Because he tells us right here, everything in heaven, everything on earth. So he's not creating a world here that's different than the one there. He says, in heaven, as it is on earth, right? In earth as it is in heaven. We've got this together. But he says this, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That's a great statement because in Romans, what does God tells us there? That because of things both seen and unseen, right? But he says, we just look out. You can't help but know there's God there. You can't help it. And here in Colorado, we got an edge on the rest of the world. Trust me on that. When you just step out of here and you get there and you look to the west and you see that, and you see the majesty of God's creation, right? You hold a baby in your arms. You see so many things. And we say, God's saying, but we're without excuse on that. But he says this, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. It's a great place, isn't it? all things, not some of the things, most of the things could be whatever, all things were created through him and for him. So that gives us that understanding that all things were created, therefore Satan can't create. And I said, here's the tactics that he used. The pattern of the tactics of the devil is the same. Wouldn't you like to go up against somebody that did the exact same thing every time? That's what Satan does. Now I'm going to tell you what it is. I use the term D3. D to the third power. Because everything we look at, Satan's only choice is to take that that is created by God or truth and love, which is God, right? And Satan takes that and he does D to the third power. Now, what does that mean? D to the third power means simply this, that the devil takes that that's of God. He distorts it to deceive us, to destroy us. Three things he tries to do. So look at everything that Satan's got his hand in. He has to start with something that's created or truth or love, right? He has no choice because he can't create something new. And he distorts it so it looks different than God intended it for us. Our Chick-fil-A down by our house there on Kipling Street broke my heart when they took something away and I've just had to get over it. But they had a mirror there. The mirror was one of these curvy mirrors, and when you stand in front of it, whoo, made you look tall and thin. I love that mirror. I would stand there extraordinarily long. Billy would be saying, Chuck, come on, let's go. And I said, baby, just give me another minute. Baby, just let me see this just a little bit more. Whoo, looks good. Dang, I like that guy. People be waiting in line with their little kids. But you know, I was on a mission. I just wanted to see this. But here's the problem. You see, that mirror distorted the truth. I may be a little taller, but I'm sure not skinny. But here's the deal. That's what Satan does. Is he takes things like that and he distorts the truth of it, right, in order to deceive us. Now, bear in mind, if all I had ever looked at was a curvy mirror like that, I would have actually believed the lie. But see, I had to go home, and in our bedroom, there's a full-length mirror, and the old guy came right back again. And I'd I'd wondered where I could buy one of those mirrors, because I thought it would help me dress and get the right attitude before I left the house, if I could just see myself that way, right? But the reality of it is, is that Satan distorts it, because he wants to deceive us, and what's he want to do? He wants to destroy us with that. That's his whole plan. Now, we take everything that that Satan's got his hand in, right? You know, and some of this stuff we just kind of look at, and this will be fun. You know, take money. I know. There's some of you, if you're new here, and you hear the word money, you go, well, it was about time for him to mention that. I knew every church was going to get to it. Hey, sit back and relax and just listen to what God says. Here's the deal. Jesus speaks about money second only to love and all of his stuff. Do the word. That's what he does. But here's the importance of it. Jesus talks about money so that it won't be a distraction to us from what God's called us to do. I believe very strongly that God, He wants to bless people. And there are some He blesses extraordinarily just in incredible ways, but He's got a plan for that. And God tells us what to do with the resources. He tells us His plan on those resources. And we go through and the Scripture tells us this. It says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and therefore put me to the test stop right there it's the only place god says put me to the test there's only one place in god's word that he says you 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 test me on this you want to see how you can be blessed go ahead and test me on this there's other places we talked about it and and where you know gideon with the fleece and that and some versions say test but it was really to confirm You see, the test of that is when you test the authority of the person giving you that. The confirming is when you acknowledge that and you're confirming you got to get it right. But you're acknowledging the authority there, right? So you take some of these where it says test, it really means confirm. That's what the individual was doing was confirming. But this is where God says, test me on this. Test me, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven, if you if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, pour down on you a blessing until there is no more need. I love that last word there, that very often we use the word want with need. God knows the difference. He may be old, but He knows the difference. Okay, some of you didn't get that, but let it go. I don't know if you've ever done that where you confused your want with your need, and then God says, yeah, but I know what you really need. right? You know, I met my wife, and I had no intentions of getting married. She says, I was a little full of myself. Let that go. It's not true. You've seen me enough. You know. You can talk to her about that. But, you know, I looked at her, and I said, Man, I I want a beautiful woman in my life. And God heard me. And He gave me exactly what I needed, not what I wanted. Oh, I got a beautiful woman. Don't get me wrong. It just happened to also be a godly woman that... Walk through life with me until God could really get a hold of me and was very patient with me. So I got what I wanted, but God was so much smarter than I was, and He gave me what I needed. And I'm so grateful for that. And we've got to be careful that we're not asking God just for our wants, but also for our needs, and understand that. So the idea is, with money, it's real simple. God's saying this. You can live by the world and think you're a success with all the things that money can buy, because that's really where most people will kind of work on their identity. You know, nice house, nice car, I get promoted titles. God says, but the real issue is you want to be blessed. You want to really be blessed. It's so the one place God says, test me on this. And you see what Satan does with money, don't you? And we see, we've seen people in church till they got money. When they receive that, such a blessing, and they're not in church anymore. They've got something else because their identity shifted from the person that was crying out to God over here. And it turns out maybe their want was you know, just that, not a need, but God blessed them, and then we don't see them. Let me take another one. This is a real fun one in church. Um, we can say marriage, but let me just throw this out here. I mean, it's fun. Sex. Some of you, when you hear that word in church, you go, oh my gosh, the ceiling's going to fall. So here's how we're going to handle this. okay? We just need to clear this part up before I move forward. Everyone's looking at me like, "Are you kidding me? Where's he going with this?" I' see that look before. I'm going to count to three, and let's all say sex, and let's look up, because a lot of you sitting here think if you say sex in church, the ceiling will come down, and we'll all be doomed. And if it does, the doors will be open. we got ushers there, but let's just see how this works. Some of you won't do it the first time, and it may get to about the eighth time. i got no place after this. Don't worry about it. We'll just keep going until we get the proper participation in this. You ready? All right. Come on now. We can do this. You ready? On three. One, two, three. The lights aren't even twitching. Is that cool or What? You know, we can say things like that in church when we tell God's truth about it, right? God's got a plan for sex. He really does. I love John Maxwell. He says, God created sex. Yay, God. You know, he got that right. But it was in the context of what God intended it to be for in a covenant relationship. What do we see that Satan's done with sex, marriage? I mean, you ask somebody about marriage, and they say, well, it just just depends. I don't know which state, what laws are you talking about? We've turned it over to the government to define God's plans for us when he had a very clear plan and he told us in his word what that plan was but what happens is you see what satan's done is he's taken the issue like marriage or sex and over here he's distorted it right to do what to deceive us and it's always you know well what will bring us happiness this way over here to destroy us and we watch lives get destroyed every single day over these issues what does God tell us about marriage in Malachi 2:14 he says this, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife you and the and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. A lot of people relate this to the church and they relate it to the relationship, but here's what he says. Though she is your companion and get this wife by covenant. And I love that because that was God's intention for us, a covenant relationship on that. And he tells us that through his scriptures there. So now, now we've got to get to the part we understand what Satan's going to do. He's going to distort things to deceive us. To do what? To destroy us. And now we come back to this. Have you thought about who you are and whose you are? God's very clear on that. He gives us his word on that. He tells us that from the very time that he knew us and formed us in our mother's womb, he knew this and what he wants is for each of us know this he tells us then in 2nd Corinthians 618 I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me says the Lord Almighty stop end of story point made boom I guess they do in the recent things that what they call a mic drop you know God does that he's got the mic and God's going through this and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me says the Lord Almighty boom Mic drop. It's over. There's nothing else that needs to follow that. So what's the issue? We're not getting it. God's people are not getting it. So we're not living in the fullness of who we are and whose we are. Therefore, in many of our lives, we're living powerless lives when it comes to what God had planned for us because we don't live out, we don't know and then live out who we are and whose we are. God tells us then, and he starts with, you know, I guess one of my favorite ones is Lion King. I know you've heard me say this before. Lion King's such a great movie. But, you know, there's the scene in there where Nala comes back, the old girlfriend finds Simba. Guys, I've told you this before. This might be the most important thing that you hear a second time. I don't care where you're at or how long you've been married. If an old girlfriend comes back, you got real problems. Just uh, Yeah. Why is it that the women are laughing and the men aren't at that? I just wanted to know. Okay, we'll let that one go. But it's true. But you know, Nala comes back and she's telling him that, you know, he's got to go back. And it's interesting that, you know, it's a lion again, isn't it? It's a lion. And that he is not living out the fullness of who he is and whose he is and he's powerless against what god created him to do and she says look pride land because that you know the family of lions is a pride that's a great name but it's pride land and he says you know scar what did he do he distorted the truth about how simba's dad died he deceived him into making him believe that he was responsible for it, right? And the whole point was to destroy him. And he actually sent the, the hyenas out with the sole purpose of killing him, to destroy him. It's the exact replica, it's the exact tactics that Satan used. To distort the truth, to deceive us, to destroy us. And that's exactly what was done there and so forth. And it wasn't until after that that he realized that. And it started with, I love Rafiki. In Swahili, Rafiki means uh, friend. Did you know that? So Rafiki, little and we call him a baboon, but he's a mandrel. You can see the red marking on the face, a little bit different. But, you know, anything that's three foot tall that's got a stick with a gourd on the end and smacks the lions on the head, my kind of man. You know? And he goes through all of this stuff, but it was in that where it had to come to the realization for Simba of who he was and whose he was, not title. And, you know, that was what the the point that was being spoken to him by Rafiki and all of that. You've got to come back because of who you are and whose you are. And when you get that right, you get the power to go with it. It's not about the position. It's the power that goes with being a son or a daughter of the king. And that's what God intends for us in there. We look at the scripture here when Jesus was baptized in Matthew three sixteen and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest on him, the Spirit of God. And then he says, he hears this, and behold, a voice from heaven said, get this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now leave that up there, I gotta, we gotta get this, right? Here's key words, this, what's God referring to? This, he is talking about a person, Jesus Christ, his son. God is saying to you, this this is my daughter this and he uses the word my beloved son so what you see in that short part is it's who he is right and it's whose he is and God wants each one of us to know that because until we get that right the power that goes with living a desperate life fully for God to make a difference it's not going to happen churches don't get desperate churches don't make an impact the people of God do And that's where God's got us and that's what God is saying here to us when he says this is my beloved son do you know Carrie he's saying this is my beloved daughter to you do you understand that Anna he's saying that to you to my ladies on the front row my rowdy group he's saying this is my beloved daughter don't shake your head like that Karis I know exactly how that looks I got a wife Daughter and granddaughters. Okay. (laughs) She's sitting up here shaking her head. Love it. It's like being at home. Hi, Cooper, do you understand? This, my beloved son. This, my beloved daughter. We can go right down. Brandon, he's telling you that. And he wants you to know that for you. And he wants you to know it for your kids. And he wants to know it for this church, each and every one of you. And that's what God is saying to us here. And that's what Satan's trying to destroy from all of this. is the who and the who's of everything. Now, here's where we're at on this. I, I struggled with this for years. I was in vocational ministry, and I struggled with my identity. And then God spoke to me with such clarity. You see, because on that Scripture back there, He said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Let me tell you what the problem is. We read that thing backwards. And I lived that life. I read it that when I do things in which He's well pleased, then maybe then... Maybe then I could become a beloved son of the King. I didn't even know what it was like in that, and I wanted it. But I lived believing that I had to earn it. I believed that if I had to please Him, I had somebody tell me one time, we were talking about the Father's blessing and living as His Son. He said, as long as I gave my dad bragging rights at the local bar, I knew that he was proud of me. But I, I hadn't given him anything to brag about on Friday night at the bar. I wasn't sure how he felt about me. That's not the God we have. That's not our Heavenly Father. You see, because of who you are and whose you are, He can literally say, and I'm well pleased in each one of you. Whether you're here first time, Barbara, whether you're here, Ray, and Grace, God loves you so much. But He wants you to know that you are His very own. Now here's what we're going to (laughs) do. I I believe in telling you in advance what I'm going to do. I don't do bait and switch and but here's what i'm going to do i'm going to ask you to bow your heads in just a minute i'm going to pray with you i'm going to ask you simply this if you are struggling with knowing who you are and whose you are foundational right with your head bowed and everybody else's i'm going to ask you to raise your hands and i'm going to pray for you because saints i'm telling you we got to get this right god wants this right in your life and that's all i'm going to do and then we'll go into our response time let's bow our heads together Father we thank you we love you and we praise you Father I bow before you and I lift up your family here an auditorium filled with your sons and daughters some of which Father may know that perfectly some of which may be struggling with that so Father I pray for each person here and I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit for everyone here if you're struggling right now in knowing that you are a son or daughter of the King, to live that out fully. Will you just raise your hand? Keep your heads bowed. Just raise your hands. Just keep your hands up. I want you to keep your hands up, and I want you to listen. God Almighty, your Heavenly Father, sees your hands raised. Your Heavenly Father says, He wants you to know, He calls you by name, child. He calls you by name. And he calls you one of his very own son or daughter. The desire on his heart is that you would know who you are and whose you are to your Father in heaven. And in you, he is well pleased. So, Father, I ask your blessing. And I ask for the Holy Spirit to descend on them, just like your word said with Jesus, that they would feel and feel a difference in that, to know that they are a son or daughter of the King. I ask you to bless them now, Father, and we thank you. We thank you for this time together that you've given us, Lord. May we go out of here living as your son or daughter. And Father, it's not over yet. Father, make me desperate. Make me desperate. And I'm asking God, help me be worthy of leading a church of desperate people that want to know you. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all of God's sons and daughters said, Amen. We're going to go into our response time now. We have our prayer team and it's really important that you understand if we don't get the prayer right everything else just kind of build on sinking sand please if you need prayer would you move to a prayer team member there there's communion on the tables they'll help you take it or you can take it and just move off to the side and then we have the cross and there's already prayer concerns on the cross from earlier service some of you are carrying around things you need to give back to god and say it is finished because jesus christ our lord and savior On a piece of wood, just like that, hung and suffered and died. So you could say, just like he did, it is finished. And there's some things perhaps you need to put there. Saints, I want you to know I'm done playing nice. I love this church. I'm desperate. And I'm praying, God, to keep me desperate. Because I think it's only that way that I'll be worthy enough to stand before you and say, Let's get desperate together, and let's chase everything God's given us. God bless you. Zach, thanks, buddy.